Hey, welcome to another episode of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with some of my Laker teammates and NBA legends. And I have my best, one of my favorite guys. He's the, he's the architect of the 80 championship in the house with us today is Mr. Jones. Jim oh, Jones, how are you doing, sir? Coop, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. For an old man, I, I'm, you know, I guess I can't complain. I can't complain. And the family and everybody is good? Yeah, thanks for asking. Everybody's healthy. How's yours? Doing good out here. Doing good. good. COVID is receding a little bit, so kind of getting back to normal. Things are back in normal. You're from Racine, Wisconsin, right? Yeah, me and Karan Butler. <laughs> no, put it like this, Karan Butler and me. <laughs> uh, the, the only two, huh? <laughs> Fortunately, NBA players. But uh, let's get started, Jim. Uh, sure. t- take us back to the early days of you playing basketball, and why did you play basketball? Well, I played Coop because uh, – uh, I was looking for a dream. You know, I, I had the dream because coming from Racine, uh, everything was, was uh, it was sort of like monotone. You know, it was just one way of living, not a lot of inspiration. Most of the black people that had come there had come from Mississippi and Alabama to work in the foundries. They had been recruited in the, in the 50s to come north and work the foundries. And they thought that coming out of them cotton fields and working in the foundries was easier Five men on each side of my father in the foundry, all of them died before they were 55. Wow. Sorry to hear that, and, man. You know, inhaling those fumes. My dad yeah. died at 43. So as a young person coming up, uh, you played high school basketball. You were, were you always tall or you finally got tall and realized that that was your, your way? Well, I was I was tall from sixth grade on. I, I used to be a guard. I used to be play guard until I kept growing and growing. And at about seventh, eighth grade, I went from six two to six six. And uh, then I thought I would stop. As a ninth, tenth, as a tenth grader, I played varsity. You know, I started, and then by the time I was a senior, you know, I was six ten and a half, almost six eleven. I played against Freddie Brown. Freddie Brown. He was, you know, he was from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And so we used to play against them religiously. Great games. Yeah, Coop, just to give you a little bit of background, I grew up in the northern suburbs of Chicago and where uh, where Jim grew up in money. Racine. His people had money, Coop. <laughs> on, on, on that side of Chicago, it's all about money. I mean, they, you know. Uh, he's not wrong, for sure. And, and I mean, so so where he grew up, he was, you know, he's probably 20, 30 miles from the border of Illinois. And I grew up same, you know, about 20, 30 miles from the border of Wisconsin. Yep. So he's, you know, he's probably right closer to Milwaukee, but also close to Chicago too, in that area. And a lot of, you know, a lot of good athletes have come from that area too. I mean, Tony Romo is not from Racine, but he's from that area. Yeah. You know, I, so. I know Tony and his father, you know, they're big Bucks fans. So I've known them for years. <laughs> so Jim, as you're playing, how'd you find your way to Marquette six eleven, and you go there and you do some spectacular things. I was going to go to Michigan state. I had declared to go to Michigan state, but that summer, the coach had a heart attack, had a stroke playing uh, uh, racquetball and wow. died. And they let me out of it. And I wanted to stay home close to my dad who had lung cancer. So I ended up staying. And I never will forget the owner of the Bucks, used to be the owner, uh, Senator Cole, Herb Cole, Cole Food Stores. He and Al McGuire came down to my house. And uh, they walked in the house, Al in one of those double knit suits, because that was the rage then. And uh, I remember he looked around and he said, nice pad, Jay. 
<laughs> I should have known. I should have known then what a what a BSer he was because Coop, we uh we had that torn up vinyl. You know how it looks like the edge of a map, and the wood had splintered, and there was a big hole in the screen, and then the couch he sat on was being held up by two cinder blocks. So he <laughs> lied. I should have known something was was up with that New York slick slick mentality. And he told my father. He said, "Listen, Jay, if he does what I tell him, he'll be a pro." And uh, I was a good student. I always listened. And uh, I had a chance to play. Played against some great teams. Had great teammates. About eight of my teammates, starting from their freshman year to the year I left, all eight of those guys played in the NBA. I mean, we had talent upon talent. Jim, you know what I did after I do my background work on everybody that we have, all our guests, you were the second NCAA player in history to leave for professional basketball. Who was yeah. the first? Who was the first? Spencer. Hey, Wood, that's right. Spencer left the year before me, and uh, none of us were going to be great as Spencer, but uh, Spencer was my idol because he, all my people are from uh, Mississippi, Holly Springs, Mississippi, and his people are from Silver, Silver City, Mississippi. And I idolized Spencer. I idolized. I tried to copy the way he played because I didn't have his super athleticism or that unbelievable length, you know, that Spencer had. And that drive that he that he had was unbelievable. So me and Brian Taylor and Bob McAdoo played in the Pan Am games that summer. And we made a vow that we weren't going to go back to college after after that sophomore year. And so we stayed in touch and all of us turned pro. We all turned pro then. Let me ask you this, Jim. In that thinking, you guys said you guys made a pact that you were going to go. Was it for money or you guys felt that you belonged in the NBA? Hey, this is Michael Cooper. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, National Basketball, National Hockey League, and all your UFC MMA action. Real-time updates, odds, and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline, your laptop or mobile device, and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Don't sit on the sideline anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Let me ask you this, Jim. In that thinking, you guys said you guys made a pact that you were going to go. Was it for money or you guys felt that you belonged in the NBA? Man, we didn't know nothing about money. You know, <laughs> we just loved the game. You uh-huh. know, we love we love to play, and we love to compete, and uh, and 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 so we just wanted the challenge to see if we could do it. I mean, we didn't have any. We had no idea what the money was like. None of our parents probably made over thirty thousand a year, and that was rich where I come from. And uh, you know, but uh, the the money was incredible. And uh, I signed with the ABA and the other two went to the uh, Brian Taylor. Both of us signed with the New York Nets. And then, of course, McAdoo signed with Buffalo. What was the uh, perception? What was the perception like of you guys at that point in time, leaving college early to do that? Great question, man. They hated us. They hated us for leaving. And they got mad at us because we were chasing money. 
They got mad at us because how could we leave Marquette? How could we leave this opportunity to be educated? You know, and so we caught hell. Marquette didn't speak to me for almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah, they didn't call me. They didn't send me anything. And then all of a sudden when they wanted some money, you know. <laughs> yeah, they'll feel bad. New Mexico treated me kind of wrong too, but you know, you way, from where you're from. They, they love you now. They love you now, don't they? <laughs> Times change. So, Jim, you play in the ABA. And what was that like? Because Dr. J was there. Um, you got a lot of fantastic players that felt that they should have been in the NBA, but that was a proving ground for all you guys to eventually move over to the NBA. You're exactly right, Coop. You're all over it. I mean, just that very statement that we were trying to prove that we could play in the NBA. And uh, the game that the NBA is playing now, currently in the playoffs, mm-hmm. that's the way we play. Just wide open, Three wide down. open, shooting early in the clock, coach. You'd know that, shooting early in the clock, getting a lot of possessions, no respect for centers, dunking on them, you know. <laughs> right. I used to dunk on Artis Gilmore so much that when I came to the NBA and he's with Chicago, uh-huh. he said, I got one question to ask you. Why did you dunk on me so much in the NBA? <laughs> Listen, we had Joe Caldwell, Billy Cunningham, Matt Calvin, Ted McClain, all of them dribble penetrators. Uh-huh. And he would take a step or even motion that, that he was going to go and help uh-huh. because that's what we did back then. The center has to help. They would throw me the ball. Then I had almost a 40-inch vertical coop. You never saw that vertical because it died after two years. <laughs> By the time you got to the NBA, you were kind of grounded. <laughs> well, yeah, your leg's gone. Leg, legs have been dead. So, Jim, you finally make it to the NBA. You play for the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Yes. That's Is, is that considered home for you? It is now. Uh, my wife is from here. I wanted to stay in L.A. Uh-huh. You know, uh, Dr. Buss, before they traded me, you know, Dr. Buss asked me, uh, did I want to work for him? Uh-huh. Yeah, he asked me, did I want to work for him in his company? Not a, not well, on the you, basketball side. You know, Jim, we're going to get – we're going to get into that a little later. That was one of the okay, things that I ahead. keep telling people about Dr. Buss is that he was one of the probably, I've, I've only played for one owner and that was him, but he was probably the most generous, giving, helpful uh, owners that's in, in, in across any sport of the game. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, he transcended sports because he, he never looked at us as uh, athletes. Yeah. He treated us like uh, we were one of his kids. And uh, we and we gave him the same uh, thing. I can tell you, and when we get to talking about Dr. Bus, don't let me to forget to tell you about the Playboy Club. No, it's, uh, it's a clean story. You know what? Clean forget story. that other stuff. Let's get to that. Let's go. <laughs> it's a clean story. It's a clean story. Uh, so do you want me to talk about it? Because yeah, let's go. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what happened. So he calls me, uh, you know, that stupid-ass uh, uh, coach we had at the time. Uh, you know, after our original coach went down, then we had the other coach. Uh, oh, when uh, McKinley went down. Then we Paul Westhead. So Paul Westhead wanted to get rid of me. You know, he and I never got along. You know, he had to pick on somebody in the starting five. And since I was not an all-star, and I, and I wouldn't take it. But anyway, uh, Dr. Buss says, I, w- I want you to come to L.A. I want to talk to you because they want to get rid of you. I want to know, are you willing to come off the bench and all that? But let's talk about it. So he flew me out. And uh, he said, uh uh, come on by the office. I'll pick you up. And then we're going to go to the Playboy Club. And so we went to the Playboy Club. That night, there was a, there was a pro fight. It was uh, Spinks was fighting somebody. I, I can't remember who he was fighting. 
But anyway, uh, we're we're in the we're in the little theater room, and Hugh Hefner's over there in this in this uh, robe, satin red robe, and Doctor Buss is sitting there with some beat up jeans and that curly cue in his hair, and uh, Miss World and all these other people are in there. Uh, Welcome back, Carter. What's his name? He was there. Dave Kaplan. Uh, yeah, Dick Kaplan was there. So we're sitting there in the front row, and they pass the bag around. And in the bag, they got numbers, and you pick the numbers. And so I picked the number, Doc picked the number, everybody picks the number. Now you got to remember that Dr. Buss and Hugh Hefner hated each other. Why? It was two old men. He has the Laker. I got the Playboy Club. I'm running LA, right? So there was a little animosity all the time. So I get this number. I think my number was either seven or nine. And Doc said, oh, that's my lucky number. Can we switch? So we switched. And, and, on, the, and, on, the, and on the ticket, it, it uh, had what round? And Doc won. Wow. And so Hugh Hefner gets so pissed off, he gets up. He looks over at Doc, he didn't, he didn't even say congratulations. Everybody's crowded around Doc, congratulating them, all of us and everybody. And Hugh walks out of the room, you know, cause he hated Doc, you know. <laughs> and, so, and so then Doc looks with the bag of money. I can't, I don't know, 60, 70 grand. I don't know what it was. He split it up, said, here, you take half. I said, no, no, Doc, you won. I said, no, you take half. And gave me half in cash. But, no kidding. But that's the kind of guy Doc was, right? Wow. You know that. So you did you that. like uh, get a girl with this or two girls or anything? No, no because, because um, I had a return flight for the next day <laughs> and, uh, to Cleveland and I've never have been a good liar. <laughs> and I could have brought home a million dollars. My wife would have still divorced me. <laughs> so so, so uh, I go back to Cleveland and I got all this money, you know, in cash. But uh, that's just one of many stories that I'm sure you could tell too about Doc. I mean, that's a great story, Jim. I never heard that, and yeah. that's great. But so you play with Cleveland, and let's get to the Laker years. 1979, 80 rolled around. We're starting to build a championship team. You're on the team. You're our power forward, along with Spencer Haywood. Right. We are going having a. You know what, Jim? I tell people this all the time. That 80 season. We weren't playing for a championship. We were playing to get to know each other and try to build something special. And the next thing you know, we're in the playoffs, playing the Sixers. Fifth game, Kareem yep. gets hurt, yep. goes down. And I've always told my story about how on our way to, bar, uh, to Philly, my thoughts. I want to hear your thoughts on the way to Philly and then tell us about the game. Uh, this is what I remember, and he said it twice. Magic gets up on the plane. And he turns around and looks at everybody. And he said, 33 ain't here, but 32 is. I never <laughs> forget that. I mean, there's never been a player that stood up at the right moment of competition. And you played with him longer than I have. And I know you and him are very close than Irving Magic Johnson. Coop, we can't even explain how Magic makes you feel when you're just around him. Yep. People don't people don't even understand that he's the only athlete I've ever felt like that because what you see is the way he is. He puts on no acts for nobody. He loves everybody. But when it comes to competition, oh Lord, he was a killer. Remember the couple of times when he drove to the baskets against Daryl Dawkins and Daryl just uh just clobbered him. 
He shook it off, got up, made his free throws. And remember, that was the beginning of Showtime. Remember how fast we played that game? Right. That's right. That was right. the beginning of Showtime, that running, that getting up and down the floor. And what do you remember about – Go ahead, Ari. What do you, that 1980 season is crazy because it's – so it's year one of Jerry Buss. Yep. The Jack McKinney thing, you know, you mentioned yeah. you were going to go to uh, you're going to you're going to go to what school, and then the coach died. Well, how about what happened with Jack McKinney that year? First time taking over as the head coach, so then Westhead takes over. Yep. There's the whole situation with Spencer Haywood during the the finals. Yep. There was the injury to Kareem. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of other things. Like it, it was an insane season. You could write a book on that. Like what what do you remember most about that season? The thing that I remember most was how close we were. Because, see, I wouldn't let anybody, excuse the term, fuck with Coop, Norm Nixon, uh, Butch Carter, all of our smaller players, you know, because because Coop didn't know that he only weighed 195. (laughs) Would fight anybody at any time and was the most physical, aggressive, dominating big time playmaker that I had ever played with. Mm. And, you know, he wasn't a great scorer, but as the years went on, he became a great three point shooter. But what people don't know about Coop is that when you see these guys like Durant and all the stuff that they're doing, this is, if there was one guy that could stop them, I'm not talking about slow them down. I mean, stop them. It would have been Cooper because his incredible length, and then his toughness, he had that toughness like magic. They were just, they were made for each other because both of them were incredibly tough. And a lot of people don't, don't understand that how tough Coop was. But the point is, is that we cared about each other. We partied together. We hung out together on the road and, uh, and we protected each other. And that system that won that championship was a Jack McKinney system. And Westhead was smart enough not to mess with it. Although he patronized Kareem ridiculously, <laughs> you know, you know, you know. Jim, Jim he was a cap, so you got to give Kareem his. Uh, Jim, no. this is what I tell everybody: if if uh, Jack McKinney had not gotten hurt, yeah, had not had that tragic accident, there would be no Pat Riley. No, there would be no Pat Riley had Crazy. that man that stayed because he would have been our coach for the next for that whole that run of that decade. Yeah, great point. Great point, because uh, basically it was Jack's system, and all they did was speed the game. Remember, we played twofold, because you, you had to let Magic and Coop run, so we would play fast getting the ball up the floor. If they didn't get anything on open look or a layup or, or a dunk, then remember, we would wait for Kareem. Yeah, but and then, Jim, you got you to remember this, too. With you being out there, you like you said about the game today, Jim was what they call, which is a term I hate, that stretch four, stretch five. Jim yeah. didn't require to go up underneath the basket because Jim could shoot an 18-footer. He could shoot yeah. the three-point shot when it came in, which really opened up the floor to allow Magic to really do his thing in there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're right. You know, but we would, it was just everything just seemed to work. Everything just seemed to work in clockwork. And uh, then the mystique of being in L.A., and then, uh, and then uh, Magic's greatness and Kareem's greatness. You know, they thought Kareem was on his last leg, but but all he needed was to play with better players. Yeah, for and sure. that's what happened. We had people where all he had to do was do what he did best. Let Jim Jones take that beating. You you just make all the big. I never saw Kareem miss a big free throw. I no, never saw never. him miss a big shot. 
I never saw Magic miss a big free throw, a big shot. They were just winners, man. Just incredibly, incredibly gifted. And uh, I just want to vent a little bit. Why doesn't anybody ever say that Kareem is the greatest? Is the greatest of all time? If you look at his numbers, Coop, he's been dominating since junior high school. Yeah. But Jim, I say that all the time. People yeah. ask me, who's the GOAT? Who's this? If you had a uh if you had any player in this league that you could start a championship team or NBA team, who would it be? I always say Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Because yes. you couldn't double team him. Nope. Because you did, he was a great passer. Kareem, people don't realize, could handle the basketball. And last but not least, to me, a GOAT is if you file him and we down one with three seconds and him to make two shots, Kareem's going to make both of them, man. I never saw him miss a big shot. I never saw him miss a free throw that we needed. No, even if we didn't need it, he made his free throws. Highly competitive. Highly competitive. And right here. Yeah, for sure. Ingenuity. Probably the smartest player we all ever played with. Let me play devil's advocate for a second because I, I've argued the same thing. And I, I just think he's left out of the conversation too often. And you should take into account what he did at UCLA, what he, you know, what he did in Milwaukee, everything. But there's people that say, well, Michael's carrying the ball up the floor. LeBron's carrying the ball up the floor. You, you know, Kareem needs a guy to pass to him. What do you guys think about that? Well, I, I look at this, and this is where I think you have to look at. You have to look at the dominance from, from, from that particular position. And you also have to look, number two, at the times we played. If you could put your hands on LeBron, <laughs> if you could put Cooper Tabar Coop, guard Michael, you yeah. couldn't touch Michael. Right. And Michael would agree. I mean, at some point, Michael would say, yeah, they wouldn't let you beat Michael up. The way that, that Tucker was playing Durant, they would never let him beat up Michael like that. I'm going to tell you that now. It was never. a different game. He was beating Durant up. The thing I respect about Durant, he stayed true to his to himself. He didn't lose his temper. He just got 40 on him every time he came out. That's <laughs> McAdoo stuff. Remember Mac, remember Mac was the same way. Yeah. Kareem, same way. You could beat them up physically. They would never cry. They would just bust your ass. I mean, that's that's up here. Hey, you listen to Showtime with Coop. We got Jim Jones in the house, one of the baddest, baddest boys that's ever played this game and a true big man back when we had big men where the championships or games were won on the inside. Jim, we're at the stage of the show where I call Coop's Lightning Round. Okay. I'm going to give you five people. Just give us a little bit of uh, something about them, okay? It could be one yeah. word or nothing over 20 words, okay? okay. Uh, Jerry West. Uh, architect. Behind the scenes when we played, making moves to get us all together. Bill Sharman, when I met with Bill Sharman after my first week of practice in L.A., he said, we've been trying to get you for three years. I said, well, he said, you can play, can't you? I said, I play a little bit. He said, we we, we want to start you. I said, well, look, I don't mind playing behind Kareem. No, you play better with the starters. We, we, we're going to start you. I called my wife. I fell to my, lead, my knees like I was in church. I was so excited. Come on, think about it. I'm playing with Cleveland all these years, struggling in the ABA. All of a sudden, I come to Los Angeles. I'm making more money than I ever made in my life. I'm playing with, with four all-stars and then a Hall of Famers. I mean, come on, man. And all I got to do is do a few things well. 
And I'm starting for the Lakers. And Cooper, I know you felt the same way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next one is Magic Johnson. Oh, man. Oh, man. If you told me that Magic was the greatest player, I couldn't argue with you. Magic changed, not Larry Bird. You can say that all you want. Magic changed this game. Six foot nine, broke all the stereotypes, had charisma, personality, and played to win and did it from the guard spot, the forward spot, and the center spot. Mm. Improved every year. Remember, he couldn't shoot his first year, Coop. Yep, all he could yep. make was that little bank shot. <laughs> <laughs> and him and Coop were very close. And I, I'm telling you, man, that he improved every year. And he was an inspiration to me, who was in the, at the end of his career going out. But I saw the way this young boy played. Let me tell you a quick story. I'm sitting at home. Larry Bird is playing Michigan State on TV. Me and one of my homeboys are watching the game. And he said, what do you think about that, uh, about that Irving Johnson? And I swear on my mother, God bless her soul. I said, if I played with him, we win a championship. I swear on my mother. Wow. We Good sat work. there. He's dead now, but he said, Jones, how'd you know? I said, because I didn't look at his skill set. I looked at his spirit. I said, and that's what he gave us, didn't he, Coop? Yeah, he did. That's the one thing he gave us, okay? Uh, next one, Bob Lanier. Uh, one day, just to mess with him, we on the free throw line, I kept looking down at his feet. <laughs> he had the feet before Shaq had him. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, can, can we swear on your podcast? Yeah. yeah. He said, motherfucker, quit looking at my feet. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do something because I couldn't stop him. You know, I don't know if he knows what we used to call him, the the dancing elephant. <laughs> Come on now, 6'11", 290, smoked a cigarette at halftime and would bust your ass. Wouldn't he cool? Mid-range, jump shot, but was never considered one of the best big men. Because mm. his skill set was so untraditional, which 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 is a shame. Al McGuire, Al McGuire, one of the greatest motivators ever. He changed the college coaching. He got them paid. He got all those guys paid. Who used to copy him? Digger. Yeah. I see Van Gundy and them trying to be outspoken like Al, Valvano. All those guys copied Al. Uh, the guy at Kentucky, Al made money, but Al got winners. And you know the only thing he promised us? He, he said, I'm going to give you two things. You're going to be educated. You can always come back and get your degree, and I did. Mm. And the other thing is that we win here, and we don't take nothing less, whatever it takes. And if you look at all the Marquette players that have come out there from Jimmy, even Butler has carried that on. Think about all those guys. Think about how tough they were. Maurice yeah. Lucas. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. You know. Uh, last, but, last but not least, and you already talked about him, but I want to hear a little more. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem, to me, I had six or seven years to watch LeBron. And I watched his work ethic. There is no player that I could think of that had his work ethic. And he's truly determined to be the greatest of all time. I don't know what it takes. I think it's unfair for anybody to measure. Yeah. But in the time that I played, I can't imagine anybody being greater than Kareem. Wow. I can't, I can't imagine. He was ostracized from our league at one time. Indirect, think about it. 
Yep. People don't understand how great he was, but those in the game knew. They tried to minimize Kareem, just like when they took Nate Thurman and, and traded him to Chicago. Nate Thurman was synonymous with Golden State. Walt Frazier, they sent him to Cleveland. Synonymous with New York. His style, the way he carried himself. Couldn't retire there. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Then they tried to minimize Kareem. You, 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 you see where I'm going? Yeah. Because I don't know, because he was Islamic or for whatever reason, or he didn't fit the mold of a dumb jock because he was way far from there, highly intellectual. You know, let me tell you, I had a book because my degree is in philosophy. So I had a book that was about this thick, about this big, and I brought it on the plane. He was sitting in the first class, well-deserved. And uh, he <laughs> takes the book out of my hand. Motherfucker, what you reading? He said, let me read it. What am I going to say? I said, go ahead. Now, the book was on pragmatism and existentialism, right? He gives me the book back the next day at Shoot Around. Here's your book. I said, uh, how much did you read? I said, I read it all. The book had to be 250 pages. Damn. But he that was the thing. He used to love to read, man. That was his People thing. People doesn't, and we're talking about pragmatism, existentialism, right. all this abstract topics. stuff which takes cognitive thought. And Kareem <laughs> read that book in what? By the time he got to the room, by the next morning at shoot around, he had read the whole book. And I know he did because I could see where the pages had been turned later in the book. Yeah, He read the whole darn book. And what I'm telling you is that his intellectualism offended and intimidated people because he didn't fit the mold. He didn't fit the mold. And now... Times have changed. Now he's back in fashion and well-deserved. Mm. There you have it. Jim, Jim Jones is top five. Uh, last couple of questions, Jim. If there was one thing that you could change about the game today, one good thing that you could change about the game today, what would it be? Uh, improve the officiating. Mm. The officiating, uh, those guys are overwhelmed. Well, you don't think the, with the monitors and the way they got it now, the way you can look at things, because the object of the game is, from the official point of view is to get it right. Let's get it yeah. right. You think that has helped them a little bit? Well, you have, you, you have to define what is right, you know, and uh, everybody has a different perspective about what's a foul and what's not a foul. Based upon the context of the game, the time and score, certain things you have to call. And then based upon the time and score, certain things you got to let go. But you mm. have to be able to, to carry that burden of criticism. But you've got to be sure that, that you do what's right based upon the time and score. And uh, what, there is no other game. I had a friend who was uh, one of my TV partners, used to do hockey. And he did baseball. And you know what he said? He said, right. you know what I found out about basketball? He said, there's no other officiating in all the major sports that has more to do with the outcome of a game than basketball. They can kill momentum in a minute and you never get it back. Yeah. They can put somebody on the free throw line to compensate for a mistake made earlier. You know, there is no other person that has that kind of control. I don't know how you improve. I've, I've, I've always said no official should be less than 6'5". Because you and I both know if you're 5'11 
and I don't care how many muscles you got. See, like all of them got muscles now. And I don't care if you're five, eleven, six feet, and you're moving. These guys are moving. Our game is about perspective, angles, and timing. You can't tell me that where they're seeing the game from, that it looks like a foul, it wasn't a foul. Their whole perspective, and I do believe that former athletes, former basketball players, should be officials. I I just can't get around that. I just can't get around that because mm-hmm. then I think the game would be better. Well, you know, you have really hit on one thing about my show, Jim, insightful BS, because you have really put the <laughs> bullshit out there, man. You have, <laughs> and I love it. I love it to death. Uh, last question, Jim. What would you say to a young player coming into the league uh, uh, about how to handle himself in today's game? Well, when you talk about handling, there's two sides. There's the physical side, which is the skill set. And the other side, which is the most difficult part, that uh, our, our league acts like they consider and they check, but they don't. It's like Wayne Embry said, uh, uh, you know, we're giving these guys all this money based on what they can do on a basketball court. But the other stuff is uh, just the roll of the dice. It's the intangibles, Coop. Hard work, determination, uh, high expectations of yourself, the ability to, to listen and incorporate it in your game and the ability to understand. Those are intangibles that if you don't have them, I don't care how high you jump or how much you dunk, you're not going to make it in this league. You and I both know that everybody was an all-star, high school All-American. The difference was what made Mike Cooper so dominating. It was your heart, your spirit, your determined and your intellect. People don't realize how in those meetings you'd be talking about how to guard people defense. And I remember you used to say, crush, crush. One time you told me, you said, crush. When David Thompson takes Buck down, switch with him. And we used to switch. Yeah. Because remember how David would back Buck down? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and shoot that 40 inch. And I said, and they said, no. So as soon as he came near me, we switch. Showtime. Jim Jones, you know what? You have really uh, impressed me more so today than any time in my life. Well, I've always admired you. I, Jim, uh, I always knew you were smart and intelligent, but man, you really, you gave me goosebumps on my little black skin, man. You really did. <laughs> I love you, Crusher. I do, man. Stuff, you know I do, man. I love, I love you, man, because we went through some wars. Yes, we did, you know, sir. And- People, people, a lot of people on the outside area, they always want to know, why do they act like that around each other? And a lot of people are jealous, but they don't know, man, that, we, that we've gone through a lot. And, and most people don't, don't do their homework like you and Coop to know how humble our beginnings were to where we are today. Coop, mm-hmm. there was a chance for any of us to be in anything to happen. Yeah. And somehow God took us and gave us this opportunity and we yep. made the most of it. Crusher, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to let you go, man. And you talked about that on the basketball court, but I think your biggest influence on me was uh, Jim has been married to the same woman. How long, Jim? Oh, Lord. Let's see. I'm 71. <laughs> I was going to say 60 years. 47, 48 years. 48 wow. years. And uh, Jim, you know, I had some, some, some fights in my first marriage. Yeah. And Jim was always there for me. His yeah. wife, Lois, was always there showing yeah. me, talking to me as a young man on how to get through those those peaks and valleys of being married in the NBA. And Jim, I just want to tell you here, thank you. Because you oh, know what? All you. that advice you used to give me now has made this second marriage 
one that has built on a rock, man, and that mm -hmm. I can, uh, I, I, I want to be married as long as you are. I want to be, will be, continue to keep it going, man. You will be, brother, because it's all spirit. Everything is spirit. I mean, when we die, we go somewhere, you know, spirit yeah. always is. Yeah. So uh, this is just the body we're in right now. So uh, that relationship with her, treat her right. Be patient with her because right now, this is the greatest time to be a woman. I used to tell people and I was in mixed groups and I'd be sitting there watching TV, maybe at the airport. And I'd ask some woman, I said, how do you feel about all these women dogging the president? I think it's despicable. Or one woman would say, I love it. And, I, and, you know, and she said, what, what do you think? I said, in my lifetime, I've never seen a black woman, let alone a white woman, dog a white man on national TV until Trump came in office. And the point I was making is that the strength and the timing for being a woman is the greatest time in history. And the way they're handling it, I think uh, you have to be patient with it, mm. but it's more like us when we were marching for civil rights and anything that didn't go our way, we said it was racist. And many times it wasn't racist. It was based on right and wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, and, and so you have to be patient. This is, this is new for women. This is, this is new for women. To have this mobility within the society where they can honestly say, I can make a dream come true just like a man. Oh, Lord. That's kind of scary to most men. You know that, don't you? And we got a woman for a vice president. You ever That's what I'm trying to, to tell that? you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Hmm. Times are changing. Yes, they are. Well, all right. He's given you and I something that we can take and uh, share with our wives and continue to be blessed like Jim, man. Oh, thank you. No kidding. That was awesome. Appreciate you, Jim. Thank you, buddy. Jim Jones, thank you, sir. Thank Anytime, you, thank you, Coop. thank you. There you have another episode of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS and Jim Jones bought that BS on a major level uh, <laughs> with my teammates, Laker teammates, and Jim was one, and my NBA family and friends. Thank you, Jim. Coop a loop. All right, baby. We out. Coop.